Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hail Yes, a Detroit Free Press podcast about University of Michigan athletics. I'm Tony Garcia, Michigan writer for the Detroit Free Press, joined by Reiner Sabin, our Big Ten insider. And Reiner, we are recording this on Wednesday, October 4th, about 2.30 p.m. It is one of the final warm days of the year. Uh, it's about 80 degrees outside. Uh, that's that's why I'm sitting adjacent to to this window uh, that, that you can see. I'm trying to think warm thoughts, and I'm about to head outside when we're done with this. Are you enjoying the... How do you feel about the, the turn in the weather, and, and, and how are you? I'm more of a warm weather guy myself, but... You know, and I'd enjoy the uh, enjoy the Michigan summers as much as I can. But, yeah, the uh, Michigan winters uh, definitely counterbalance the warm and sunny feelings that you get during the summer with the gray, cold, miserable uh, six months yeah. that we have to endure during the uh, during the fall, late fall and winter and early. Yes, spring. But for the next but for the next four to six weeks, we get that nice beautiful crisp fall and i do find it tough to enjoy because you know what's next but reiner maybe we should take a page out of michigan's book out of donovan edwards book specifically be where your feet are and focus on right now and uh instead of worrying uh, about the winter because it is beautiful right now i agree but you know here we are indoors <laughs> talking to each other i know well that's because i'm concerned about my signal out there as it is actually i still don't know what happened i think i just moved as everyone has sort of heard the the, the documenting of this there was some mowing going on outside or cutting of some sort i wonder if that is what just cut like if the the maintenance guy who who does it just cut like a cable or something because my internet cut out i'm on a hotspot right now and so the point is, I'm concerned. Here, I was concerned about connection. I guess I'm on a hotspot. I could be anywhere, um, but that's neither here nor there. And after after spending as much time as we just did together in Omaha and Lincoln, Reiner, I now know that's probably maybe above your head, paid yeah. with, with with your iPhone six. I don't know if you even understood <laughs> what I was just referring to. Do you? Uh, no, zero zero understanding of that. No, I mean, yeah, my technology tech. My technological knowledge is pretty limited, and uh, I'm not up on the uh, new trends. I don't have a TikTok and uh, don't have InstaFace or any of that stuff. Yeah, yes, so, there, you, there you go, Boomer. No, I I had said um, in our in our travels that I was going to give you a hard time on on this next recording about about different things, but there are I'm sure there are equal things that you would poke fun at me for. So instead. <laughs> We will just move forward uh, and and get to our get to our, our three thoughts about Michigan uh, as we get to the show. So because there really is a lot to get into. Five weeks in, we are now in week six. Uh, it is Minnesota week. The battle for the Little Brown Jug, the oldest trophy in college football. Uh, Michigan had a big uh, information session about it in the summer and and, and some some rehashing this week uh, for for everybody. There's not a lot of people who who had played this team. Well, when Minnesota last played them, uh, in, in or when excuse me, when Michigan last played Minnesota in 2020, there's a few, um, but 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 not a ton. So um, here here's what we're gonna do: a block, three thoughts. Um, is Michigan somehow at number two still flying under the radar? Uh, yes and no. Uh, there are some signs. It's it's thought number two. It's been hard to assess how how good Mi- Michigan really is. Is it the bad team? Is it is it them being dominant? They're, here we we have objectively found one statistic that it does not matter about their competition uh, that has showed why Michigan is very good. And then number three, Reiner had a great article about uh, Michigan's mentality, not just for this week, but headed into the season, uh, and, and and what they have to keep forward. Sort of the the overarching theme of of Jim Harbaugh, sort of the 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 beat of the drum that, that this uh, that this program marches to. We'll get into that, and then a break on the other side. The picks uh, up first. Hopefully, everyone could digest that. Reiner is Michigan floating, floating, flying, soaring, seeking under the radar at no, somehow Michigan, this big brand with that undefeated record at number two in the country. Yeah, I don't think the buzz has been quite as strong. And I think there's a lot of factors with that, uh, particularly the Dion effect. I mean, that's affected how Fox, uh, the big, big, big 10 partner 
uh, has uh, aired Michigan games. I mean, last week, Michigan got pushed off the big noon uh, showcase to a 3.30 game because of Colorado USC. And they have not made it onto big noon, whereas last year they were such a frequent presence that people thought that Fox was the official television partner of Michigan football. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think there's some truth to that. Uh, and the fact is, is that last week they were running up against the Georgia Auburn game and Georgia Auburn got more viewers, even though both were nationally broadcast. One was on CBS. The other one was on Fox. And uh, it, it's just because again, Michigan has not played anybody of real note. Uh, I mean, Michigan, Michigan, Nebraska is a traditional blue blood rivalry game kind of, Oh, not, I shouldn't say rivalry because it's not a traditional rivalry, but I mean, it's a, it's two big name programs with two very passionate fan bases. And yet, you know, they got, you know, fewer viewers than obviously Georgia Auburn, which is, uh, you know, also two, two notable programs. But uh, I would argue that those brands historically have not been, quite to the same level as Michigan and Nebraska. So, uh, yeah, I think there is some some truth to the idea that because of the schedule, the, the you know, the disparity between Michigan and its opponents, that they're not getting as much national attention uh, as you would think for a team that's, you know, with, with Michigan's brand power and its ranking at number two. Well, I do agree with that sentiment in general. I I have a little trepidation using the Georgia Auburn example uh, going against it uh, as evidence of that, because I mean Michigan Nebraska that was over by halftime, right? I mean, like people are not tuning into that, and like as the number, I, I don't know the exact formula. Of that's true. That's true. That's, that's a everyone good is going to flip. So so context matters a, a little bit there. But also, I think you made a good point as we were discussing this this point before the show. Uh, it, I mean, it's the. I mean, there is a new Big Ten TV contract, and while it is bigger and new partners, I mean, there are streaming services now in play, and ESPN, the the worldwide leader, is no longer like the one the Big Ten's flagship station, or does not carry Michigan games, and so they still, they they still ESPN is still the the, the biggest measure of the needle, right? They are the needle mover. Um, yeah. the, the, They're the, the biggest. Yeah, they're the biggest promotional vehicle for college football, I would argue. And uh, it didn't help that Michigan also ended the season on a, you know, brand new st- streaming platform as as it relates to. I mean, Peacock's been around, but not not as a as a college football you know, uh, platform. And so it, that didn't really help there. And then uh, again, it's just some of the opponents that they played. Whereas all these other teams like Florida State have gotten more buzz. Because they played LSU, they played Clemson, and then you had Alabama and Texas uh, playing. So Texas is, uh, you know, they're an, obviously a big brand in the same vein as Michigan, but they've already played that big team. They won, and so there's a lot more buzz about you know some of their some of their games and the their season so far than say Michigan's. Yeah, and I mean, and that's my point, or my that was going to be my major thought is. I mean, look at the teams, the names at the top, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Texas, Ohio State, Penn State. You could argue, and USC is in there, um, Oregon is in there. I mean, it is, ju- I mean, it is just about like, te- like 10 of the top 10, like biggest brand. You know what I mean? There's no, these, I mean, it is a year of big name brands. I mean, even Alabama at like 11, right? Like. There is just a ton of there's just a ton of names and firepower at the top, and so there's just more. I mean, I don't know. I think there's more mouths to feed. There's more. There's more names, and and you said it like the Dion. I mean, the Dion storyline just took up so much of the air in the room uh, early on. But I don't know that Michigan. I mean, like if you heard what Joel Klatt said earlier this week, right about how in I mean, and he's he is one of the major college football voices. Yes, he has long uh, been a she seemed to think very favorably of Michigan, but I mean, he said, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here that Georgia needs to watch out for Michigan, not vice versa. Right. Like he thinks that. And so when, when you got people saying that it is hard to say that Michigan is truly flying under the radar. However, when you think of Michigan, like how they entered the season, right. As on the short, short list of national championship favorites, uh, they've done not, I mean, they, they weren't, 
clean and crisp early on. They hadn't even given up more than seven points in a game, right? I mean, they've just dominated. They rank number one in so many categories. I see your point that you would think there might be more national discussion about this team, especially with what they returned. Than right. They- well, and the and the coach that they, they have, I mean, Jim Harbaugh is obviously a, a well-known guy, but again, Jim Harbaugh's <laughs> getting pushed down the list, obviously in part because of Deion Sanders and uh, again, Fox having the uh, partnership that they do with the Pac-12, so they they've kind of leaned into the Dion stuff a little bit more than say they would Michigan in the normal year. I think again, if you know Dion wasn't there, I don't know if we'd be even having this discussion because probably Fox would be more present as far as Michigan's concerned. And uh, but I just think it's interesting because uh, you would think that a program of this stature and with with their ranking and what their potential is that they would have. Uh, more opportunities, I guess, or more exposure than maybe that they, they had. I do, I do feel for some reason, for a number two team, they actually are somewhat under the radar, and there's just not as much buzz as you would think. Yeah, no, and it's fair, and and like sort of the, I mean, the one of the main thoughts of why that is is because for the under the radar, because they're not playing these big names and. Uh, and so there's just there's no buzz and people are sort of waiting for that to happen. And because of that, that brings us into our second point. People, I guess, maybe have wondered, it's not is Michigan good? Obviously, Michigan's good. But how good? Right. Because how much of a measure can you truly get against these bad teams? Now, Mike Hart today, Wednesday, we met with him, was trying to sell uh, some of the teams on Michigan's schedule, pointing out that UNLV is four and one. However, I believe East Carolina is one and four. Uh, Nebraska clearly was not impressive. They were two and two before Michigan's. I mean, nobody, you can't spin Michigan's schedule as any sort of, uh, of murderer's row. Right. But it does not matter who you are playing in the objective measure. That is discipline. That is penalties, uh, where through five weeks, Michigan, uh, leads the nation. Uh, they have the, they've committed in the fewest penalty yards. Uh, they have committed 91 penalty yards in five weeks. They have committed just 13 uh, in total, 13 total penalties. I don't believe any personal fouls. And uh, and that was, I mean, just the cherry on top was this last week against Nebraska. I know we touched on it briefly on Monday. No penalties in, 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 a, in a whole game. So, I mean, just doesn't matter who you're playing, right, when, when, you're, not, when you're doing that. Yeah, I mean, they, they play crisp and they seem to be rounding into form. I mean, they had the obviously – rough game against Bowling Green with the turnovers. And so I think, you know, there, there have been some signs where they've, they've kind of gone uh, a little bit off script from that, uh, from what they typically are, which is a very disciplined team. But uh, again, with, with since Jim Harbaugh's returned, they've looked very, very crisp in how they've operated uh, on all fronts. And so, uh, yeah, it's a sign of a good team. It's a sign of a well-coached team that they're not, shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, yeah, obviously, the teams that do shoot themselves in the foot uh, generally <laughs> um, are, are, you know, the ones that are uh, in, in dire straits. And Michigan certainly is not is on the opposite end of that spectrum. I mean, they're, they're a team that's functioning very well. They don't, you know, make s- stupid mistakes generally. And, like, you know, again, the one, the one game, the Bowling Green game where J.J. McCarthy – through the three interceptions, I mean, ever since that, he's he's corrected it, it seems, and uh, it's not putting them in compromised situations or and such. And so, uh, it's been a it's been a much better and more promising uh, situation for Michigan in these last two games. Yeah, as we suspected with JJ at the time, that certainly sort proved to be the anomaly, right? Not the right mm-hmm. trend, not the trend, um, and also, I mean. This is not just it's not coincidence, right, that Michigan is is do is this crisp, this uniform, this regimented, this disciplined. It happens through time with years of the same messaging with coaching staff continuity with, I mean, high level coaches who can I mean, every I mean, NFL teams struggle to get professionals right to play this this discipline. You know what I mean? Penalties are the penalties at, at, at either level. And so, I mean, there is something to the buy-in, uh, to, 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 the, to the level of it. And also, different teams do different sort of information sessions. But I thought it was 
uh, unique and informative this last uh, this past week. Uh, Jim Harbaugh was ta- talking about these TTG teach the game sessions that Michigan does uh, every day in spring and and and, and summer camp, like uh, preparing uh, for for the season, and, uh, and and on Mondays during the during the year, where basically the I think this year it is Grant Newsom, the tight ends coach, who's in charge of the sessions, but he will find different plays, both good and bad, from the college level, from the pro level, and they'll just cut up clips and kind and kind of dissect it, uh, just little nuancey things about the game uh, that that might appear small but end up being quite large. Yeah, I mean, situational football is obviously incredibly important. Uh, they take care of that uh, through these, you know, teaching sessions, understanding what's good and what isn't. I mean, uh, obviously, we saw that in the Chiefs Jets game, where you know Patrick Mahomes could have scored, given the ball back to the Jets. Um, you know, they still probably would have won the game if that happened. But the smarter play was to just go down before the goal line, inbounds, and run out the clock, so you don't leave any doubt about some freakish comeback. So uh, those are the kind of plays that, uh, you know, win you games and also are, are just smart. Uh, and you and you see other programs that obviously do some, some of this stuff and are aware of these situations, but some are better at teaching it than others. And I think Michigan's probably in that boat of programs that do a better job of uh, telling the players, you know, what's good and what isn't and getting that message across. What did Nick Saban do at, at, at Alabama? I mean, obviously, I mean, just historical power. And I mean, you, they, I feel they have different years. Sometimes they do sort of cross that line. Right. But oftentimes, sometimes maybe they get the benefit of the whistle, but like Saban is a good disciplinarian. Obviously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he did that. I mean, the end, but it comes down to the individual. I mean, Damian Harris, I think uh, the running back now for the Patriots. I mean, he, he would go down early, before, you know, instead of going in for, for the score and such. He knew what was going on. And sometimes there were guys that made stupid plays because that's just, you know, their nature, their pro- proclivity, their natural. Pro- so sometimes it comes down to the individual, how much they Im- imbibe that information and absorb it and then apply it. So uh, a coach can only do so much. Sometimes it comes down to the actual player themselves to be able to to execute it and uh, apply that information. I mean, that like, that thought circled, starred, bold, asterisk, applied to everything, right? Like there is always like only so much a, a coach can do. However, that does not mean let coaches off the hook, right? There is, it's just, that's a, I guess that, that that's an aside. Um, well, yeah, the coaches put the players in the uh, usually it, the players in the best positions to execute. That's what their 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 job is to do. And you know, by doing these kind of sessions, they're they're trying to do that. But it's still at the end of the day, it's up to the player to actually, uh, you know, go out there and carry out the plan too. Uh, sometimes you can see though when the coaches don't put the players in the best situations, and then especially if you have a pattern of committing penalties or turnovers or dumb mistakes uh, like we've seen at a, another program in state that I won't mention, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and so whereas, uh, you know, with Michigan, that's not as much of an issue and that's the side of a well-coached team. Yeah. It's, it, exactly. And I mean, and, and you talk about it's at a certain point, it's up to the players to just do it. Right. I mean, Jim Harbaugh said, I mean, now these sessions are known as TTG. Like they'll they'll be like, all right, guys, TTG, right? Like time to go. Like mm-hmm. not time to go, but but it is time yeah. to go over to teach the game, right? TTG. Yeah. And he's and he's been doing this for so long. They just have an acronym for it, is what he said. But the mm-hmm. point is, he has always done this. And there were years. I think it was 2019. They ranked like mid 80s in the country in in even even when even in in a decent season right like a 10 win type season or, or maybe that was their eight and five year um but still even even as a decent team that like there's not always been the perfect buy-in since that 2020 season since that covid year i mean it's just been all business for michigan and and this is part of that and that's what jim harbaugh has talked about this last week when he was talking about just sort of 
their mentality and trying to defy the laws of gravity, right? Like, and this is one of those instances. And you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you take it from here because you're the one who wrote about it. But I mean, Michigan, thirty and three in the last thirty-three games. Clearly, they have bought, brought, excuse me, bought into that discipline, and now it is just how how long can you? What do you say? Keep the balls in the air. Yeah, yeah keep the balls in the air. Yeah, I, I think a lot of this season, especially because they don't really play or possibly won't play a ranked opponent until, um, you know, November 13th, uh, I think it is, against Penn State. Uh, yeah, the, it's about competing against themselves and avoiding complacency and not getting too arrogant and not letting some of the human foibles that can enter the discussion, whether it's personal jealousies or other, uh, uh, other you know, possible uh, emotions that lead to conflict, uh, uh, interfere with the mission at hand. And Harbaugh knows that he has his most talented team since he's been at Michigan, his best shot of winning a national title. He doesn't want anything to kind of uh, get in the way of that. And I think that's why he kind of brought up this sobering comment about, you know, the law of gravity and what, what goes up must come down. And, you know, he's going to try to delay that as much as possible. I thought it was interesting that he said that because, again, his general uh, tone in press conferences is usually very positive. He pumps up the players and generally leans into that uh, idea of uh, trying to, I guess, dole out compliments as much as possible. But here he kind of was given a warning to the players, you know, hey, you know, we got to stay on task and kind of avoid the big head. Uh, he said, it's a deep, dark, lonely trap. Yeah. And so uh, it's, uh, it's something that's uh, clearly on his mind and something he's a little bit conscious of at, at this point where, you know, again, Michigan's coming off a dominating performance that he even said was a plus uh, himself. So they've got to keep, you know, that kind of standard going and uh, he's pretty attuned to it. Um, what? <laughs> and as, as they always say, right. Like, they, I mean, they follow Jim because he's the one who's been through so many football situations. As you said, he is the one who has been that close and gotten to the top and fallen off. These players either had only known the top or had gone from the bottom to the top, right? They've, mm-hmm. never, done, they've never done the opposite. So he, that's why you right. have to stay ahead of it, right? You have to continue to warn and, and plan and, and prepare against it. And, and I thought it was another good point you made just – about like, just, I mean, just sort of the, the the camaraderie with within the team. Like, there are so many pitfalls on the march to an up to a championship, right? In places, things can go wrong, and I think Michigan, in 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 a team that was less focused, less wet, less player coached, less driven, there was opportunity for fracture just by the nature of how many position battles there were, right? I mean, these are like this is. It's serious business, right? It is very hard to fight, fight, fight for your job and still be truly happy for your for for the guy who wins it or for whoever else is is scoring the touchdown. I mean, unless you're Blake or, or Roman Wilson, right? Like other guys are eat, they are the guys who are eating right now. Yet everyone seems to be like the team. I mean, as as has long been said around the, the program, the team, the team, the team, and so. And I, and just like a little evidence of that uh, was I was just standing on the sideline before the game at Nebraska because on a lot of these road trips you at Michigan uh, were, were were just in the press box because the sidelines are so crowded. But other programs you are allowed given sideline access and just coming out of the tunnel, Miles Hinton had a, had a wrap on his knee uh, or he was going back into the tunnel, excuse me. And Ladarius Henderson is coming out and and just seeing them dap each other up on the way. Uh, Seems like a little thing, but those are, I mean, only one of those guys is starting. Those are, by, by definition, Carson Barnhart is starting on one side, so only one of them can. And yet, it's just a little thing like that. And I mean, the edge battle, the line battle, the, the depth in the running back room, uh, like defensive, different defensive linemen getting picks, right? And guys not getting, just just little things. And uh, and I, I think it was a good point you made. Well, and he already and he said that there's a lot at stake too, especially in the world of NIL. I mean, there's there's money opportunities now that were they didn't bail themselves to players, you know, before 2021. So uh, things have changed dramatically as far as uh, how you keep a locker room cohesive and such. So uh, I mean, again, going back to his days in San Francisco, where again things were going really well, 
for three years, his first three years, it couldn't have gone better in San Francisco. Then there was this drop off, you know, eight and eight. And there was some, you know, Alex Boone I had talked to earlier this week. He was a guard on the team, actually played at Ohio State, you know, seems like a big hardball fan, uh, said that, uh, you know, basically there was some infighting, obviously, within the organization, whether that was necessarily in the locker room as much as it was between, you know, uh, the coaching staff, coaching staff and management. Uh, there was friction there, but I mean, Harbaugh was always, you know, he was a taskmaster there. I mean, sometimes he was cracking the whip, you know, to try to get, you know, the guys did not fall into the sense of complacency because they'd been to three straight NFC championship games. And it's, it's hard sometimes, you know, as a player, you just, you don't even realize stuff is slipping. Uh, and the, you're not doing the same things you were doing to get, kind of reach that success. I mean, Nick Saban talked about it. It's a lot easier to get to the top of the mountain than stay on top because, you know, complacency is the biggest thing that, that you know, set it, you know, set in. And he, he was, you know, he, he talked about, you know, uh, that after even Michigan, not Michigan, Alabama got to the 2018 uh, uh, title game and got blown out by Clemson, kind of saying like the team kind of probably let it, I mean, let his foot off the gas. And so, uh, that's the hardest thing. I mean, Michigan hasn't reached that point where they've won. So they've got that, they still have the carrot kind of dangling out in front of them. But even when you're, you know, you still have that and you're 30 and three, it's, it's hard to kind of keep, keep it at the same standard and not, not buy into your own hype. But within the big 10 they have, right. And that's how, that's the mentality when you go to Minnesota, right. Do you notice like, I guess, no disrespect intended to, to, to the Gophers, right? We're not even discussing them hardly at all on this podcast. I mean, we can talk about replacing Mo Ibrahim and Tanner Morgan and Nathan Kaliak Manis now and how he's okay a little bit, but against North Carolina, he wasn't really good. And, you know, like Darius Taylor, they're running back from Wald Lake Western, who one of the few games when I was GA for like Six weeks of high school football last year. I went to like just a couple high school football games. Walled Lake Western mm-hmm. was one of them. And uh, he was actually bottled up pretty good that game. But they were saying he was going to Minnesota. They're like, no, this is not – this was not the, the the right game. I think they played Davidson, like a, a Flint area team. And, I, and Davidson just, just bombed him last year from what I recall. But, I mean, Darius Taylor, he was a couple weeks ago – uh, I mean, Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week, right? We we don't need to get into this because Michigan is so far past Minnesota. I mean, I guess there's a chance I could look like a complete fool, clip that, just apply it anywhere is necessary. Um, but but like I don't I don't think that there's going to be much competition here, which is why with us having that mentality, Harbaugh certainly needs to make sure his players do not. Yeah. And uh, I think was why, what motivated him to say that. I think, you know, he pointed out to the media and, you know, all of us uh, wrote how, how dominating and how they look like CFP contenders after the Nebraska game. And it's, you know, coach has to coach, you know, he was inviting praise and saying after the Bowling Green game, you know, they only want to win the game by one point. And he was trying to uh, maybe tamp down, all the criticism that the team invited at that point. Now, now he's worried about all the, the quote unquote rat poison that Saban talks about, about, you know, the, the media hype and everything entering their heads and such. And so uh, it's, uh, and he, and actually, you know, Saban calls it rat poison. Apparently Harbaugh calls it the rat trap, uh, according to Alex Boone. And so it's, uh, that's the kind of stuff that, Harbaugh needs to be aware of and keep the you know players kind of focused on the day to day, and that's what Zach Zinner said that they're doing. It's it's quarterback mentality, right? Never too high, never too low. You got to right. just, and it's coaching mentality. You got to right. just sort of sort of stay the course. Um, I mean, it's it just feels like I don't know why I just picture like the analogy of like, or it's just like a fire, right? And he does not want to let the like like the flame you just want a good solid flame you don't want it to go out and so when it when it feels like it's going low he'll 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 pour a little gas on it or he'll pump some air on it and get it going but if the if the if the blaze is going too much like maybe douse a little water on like like you don't want to burn this whole house down before like we just want a nice warm fire keep everyone good like just keep this thing i don't know i don't know why that's what i pictured but um he's just like he's just constantly monitoring that yeah, and uh, it's 
it's what a good coach does. Uh, he has to read the room. And I asked him earlier this week whether he's good at that or it, it, the experiences that he's had <laughs> yeah. as a coach. And he's like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, I think I'm pretty good. And he should be. I mean, it, you know, again, uh, a coach at that level where he has coached in the NFL, been around professionals, yeah, been around college players, has lived it as a player himself. He should be able to kind of read that. And again, Boone said that his his player experience is extremely valuable as far as being able to understand the mentality of the players uh, as they're going through a season. Players love that. Um, this might not feel relevant, but like there was this, I think it's the Pro Bowl last year. There's uh, there's this viral clip about Max Crosby and Panay Sewell uh, mm-hmm. having a conversation, and Panay is talking to Max Crosby. Uh, Panay attack on the mm-hmm. lines. Max Crosby defensive edge on the Raiders, and uh, he's just and they're talking. You can tell they're talking about Brad uh, or about excuse me, Dan yeah. Campbell, yeah. and uh, and then Panay is just like, yeah, dude, like. He like he went through it. He gets it, man. Like he's just like he's one of us. And mm-hmm. uh, and Max Crosby's like, like, oh yeah, dope. Like that'd be like 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 I'd love that sort of thing. And he played at Eastern, so that's I guess that's maybe that's for our Lions podcast that we still cannot uh, convince Dave Burkett uh, to begin. <laughs> uh, I got we should bring Dave on just to see if he should talk Michigan. I miss Dave. Um, mm-hmm. I want to. Uh, that's how we're going to end the the first half of this podcast mm-hmm. talking about Dave Burkett. Uh, the goat, um, God, he's and good for. I'm just so happy for him uh, about the yeah. about just the Lions' success, right? And yeah. I mean, nobody like I'm happy for the players. I'm happy, like happy for all of our all the people in the area and Lions fans. Really, I'm happy for Dave and, mm-hmm. and the people who who've had to cover that beat for years. And when everyone else gets to tune out when the Lions are 0 and 11, Dave doesn't. You know what yeah. I mean? And mm-hmm. and 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 and. 0-11 is an example. It was just two years ago. They were 0-8-1, right? Mm-hmm. And it was right. just three years ago. Michigan was 2-4. and four. Like, things can change pretty quickly in, in, yep. in football, well, and it's just well, it's, it's, been, just, it's just funny. Which brings us back to the Minnesota game. That was the first game in 2020, and things looked really good with Joe Milton as a quarterback, and uh, everything seemed like it was going to be another, another good season after that game, and there was a lot of hope then, and then it all came crashing down, which ultimately led to the resurgence that Michigan had to have and and getting the coaching staff, elite coaching staff that he uh, has put together, Harbaugh, in the, in the time since. And that's led to the better discipline and the more buy-in from the players and where we're at right now. And so it, in some ways, sometimes you have to go through the bad times to get to the good times. No doubt. And that's what they all say. That, But I will never not believe there was something in the air that night in Minneapolis. If I'm not wrong, Jake Moody went 0 for 3 on field goals. So uh, you cannot trust anything that happened that night uh, in 2020. In, in 2020. Um, and so uh, it was, uh, will this game look anything like it did uh, the last time? They, they went. Uh, I'm headed to Minneapolis in a couple days. Uh, it is a night game, Michigan, Minnesota. That will be the first of four games we preview when we bring in Andrew Burkle on the other side of the break. Uh, don't go anywhere. This is Hail Yes. All right, everybody. Welcome back. And I delayed it long enough. I'm sure there is nobody who is more excited to hop on the mic than Andrew Burkle. What's up, bud? Dude, my camera doesn't work right now. My 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 work computer camera. Is I can broken. hear your smile. But, I, but you can hear. You can probably hear my smile. I <laughs> I have flipped the script incredibly quickly uh, on you guys. Just a couple weeks ago, I was telling you guys to fade me. So maybe I just am bad at advice because I said, "Please, everyone, fade me." And then I went on a crazy win streak. So uh, I, I guess I'm just I'm just cursed for the viewers right now or listeners. Yeah. yeah. Well, Andrew is now leading the way in the picks at nine, eight, and two. I uh, cleaned the board last week. Perfect four zero. Four zero. Okay, so then why? So then why here? Does my record say one, two, and two? That's supposed. To, that's probably just a two and two. We just got an extra, uh, extra yes, number. Sir. In any event, I am now eight nine two one under Reiner seven ten and two. Although that is all just within two games uh, of one another. And Vegas, as always, uh, all of us sitting right around five hundred, and them taking that handle every time. I mean, <laughs> or that 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 hook just cleaning up. Uh, this is why Reiner doesn't bet. 
This is why I lose money when I do. Uh, and this is why you take our advice. Um, we covered the Michigan football team and we had a pretty good read on, on last week. Right? I mean, we're not, I mean, we're not gambling experts. I mean, we do our best. I watch a lot of football and do what I can, but eight, nine and two, it's hard to beat Vegas. Right. And like, I'll say, I can do the thing that everyone does. I mean, last week, Last week, that Notre Dame-Duke game, if you were on Duke, you were on the right side of the number. I mean, your Duke is down or is up by one. They need to cover five and a half with 30 seconds left. Not only did Notre Dame is just trying to run to get into field goal range. Estimate butts a 30-yarder, and then it's five points. All you got to do is stop them on the two-point conversion, and you still cover. You had any which way to cover. So it's it, it's that close, right? And that's how it can go, so... In any event, Andrew, back to you. Speaking of gambling, I think you were minus five hundred to bring up that Notre Dame that Duke Notre Dame Duke cover. <laughs> I would have bet my life that you were going to bring that up for sure. So yeah. Anyways, you know me as oh, I know you too. We, well. we already. I was texting about. It. I mean, just just sick. <laughs> <laughs> right, it may have been. The, it may have been the, the, the deciding leg of a parlay as well. Who knows. So a little bit sour for a couple of reasons. Anyways, let's start with the Michigan-Minnesota game, as we always do. Michigan, a 19-point favorite uh, against the Golden Gophers. Uh, Tony, we'll start with you since you seem to be running a little hot today. Uh, who you got in this one? Yeah, I always need to tone, tone it down. Um, I, I, I like Michigan for the same reason as last week against Nebraska. Just uh, Minnesota kind of, I mean, si- similar style team and similarly limited and Michigan is similarly imposing and just better. I mean, Michigan can pass it on them if they want, they can run it on them if they want. I mean, Minnesota is not like, unlike Nebraska, which will beat itself. Minnesota won't, uh, like we were talking about the discipline also top five in penalties. Um, and so, I mean, not going to lose the field position battle a ton, they have some decent pieces like, I mean, Daniel Jackson is a legit receiver. Corey Kroon, uh, the Western transfer, legit receivers, but Michigan still overmatches them every every which way. Uh, I definitely like them to cover 19, so give me Michigan. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things where Michigan it keeps playing these teams with very limited passing offenses, and I just think it, it, it favors a, a defense that uh, can kind of uh, – focus on one aspect and shut it down. And in this case, it's the running game. And if they shut down the running game, then they really don't have any chance here. And so I think Michigan scores plenty to be able to to cover, essentially. And so, uh, yeah, I, I just don't see much hope for, for Minnesota being able to put up much of a fight in this game. Uh, you know, it's uh, the, the Big Ten. It's kind of what it was last year in the same situation. Michigan was playing a lot of limited offenses, too, and they were – taking care of business then. And I think that this team is kind of building and building and uh, they've kind of with Jim Harbaugh back, it's become a a much stronger team uh, um, in all phases. And so I think, you know, that'll continue this weekend against uh, or at Minnesota, I should say. Very true. I think like what you said with the, maybe the exception of the Bowling Green game, it seems like they've been getting better every single week. Um, yeah. Last week, Michigan just, I mean, it was like two teams from from different levels. It was like, you know, Michigan four, completely decimated Nebraska. 17-point favorites against Nebraska. A little transitive property here. Mer- Minnesota barely beat Nebraska at home because the Cornhuskers did co- Nebraska-type things and literally gave the game away. Uh, Michigan always favors really well against teams who have a, a similar style, a run-first style especially. They just they take away they take away the run and say hey you can beat us in the pass and the, the quarterbacks at, at, in the Big Ten right now uh, at least the ones Michigan's faced so far simply have not been able to do it so uh, the the nineteen points here really doesn't even scare me that much and and I would I would take Michigan with the nineteen there yeah honestly it would have to be around 20, 24, 25 for me to even consider uh, taking Minnesota in this one because I, I I think that if they win they're going to kill them. I th- I was gonna say I would twenty four still wouldn't do it for me. Yeah, like twenty seven and a half. Twenty seven and a half. That's where I would be like, oh, that's okay. Yeah, yeah then you're worried about oh, that's a lot. A backdoor, a backdoor cover. Yeah, the uh, the athleticism differential was the biggest thing I noticed with Michigan and Nebraska, and I think it would be the same with Michigan and Minnesota. I just think oh, overall, I mean, the athleticism is just going to take over for Michigan in this game. All right, let's go to the game of the week. No doubt, 
Texas and Oklahoma. Ryan, who you got in this one? Uh, six and a half point favorites. Uh, Longhorns are here. So who do you, who are you taking in this one? Well, last year, if everybody recalls, uh, Oklahoma lost forty nine to nothing. Uh, a lot of people were questioning Brent Venables at the time uh, whether he was the right coach, uh, given such a such a bad loss in a rivalry game like that one. Uh, it's one of the best rivalries in the entire sport. But uh, you know the the deep the defense has started to come around. They're kind of moved away from the Alex Grinch, uh, Lincoln Riley, uh, uh, duopoly there, and so and now it's now it's becoming more Venables' team, and they're ranked fourth in scoring defense. So I don't know. I think Oklahoma's going to put up a, a pretty good fight against Texas and uh, create some problems for Sarkeesian's offense. So I'm taking Oklahoma here. I hear. I mean, certainly the rivalry aspect of it scares you, and it's not just that, right? Like Oklahoma is not just some pesky, like punchy team, right? I mean, they'll get like they they've got an experienced quarterback. They're putting up points in bunches. Venable. I mean, what'd you say? Their defense is fourth or something? Yeah, I mean, it's like, defense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, they, I mean, they're they're putting up like they're doing it on on both sides of the ball, and I mean, also like Clemson sort of falling off a little bit, right? Like, it's not just a coincidence you know like i mean a lot of those principles and bringing over some of the staff and uh oklahoma it's oklahoma's benefit clemson's uh uh, detriment that said texas um in my emails and the comments on things i I mean people are very upset that i think i i have texas like four right now um instead of two because texas has been talk about teams that have been bombing people i mean texas has looked extremely impressive I don't know what what more that Texas could possibly do uh, have done thus far, and this is another big test for a big big statement. And I mean, you win this game, even I, I think Texas can absorb a loss and still have a very legitimate argument. At I mean, depending on how other things shake out at at a college football playoff spot. So uh, I do, I do think Texas uh, covers by. Uh, by half point, Texas by seven. You look at Texas's schedule. This is like this is the game, right? This this is the one that they they have to kind of get through here. It, it's they are, they got through Alabama, and then it's it's Oklahoma, and, and so everything's gonna be on the line here. With that said, I'm I've been very impressed with Oklahoma. Uh, like Reiner mentioned, Brett Venables last year gets just destroyed, forty nine to zero last year to Texas. It, it's looking bad. And that's the kind of loss that really, you know, you're like, how does this even happen? But what you guys, you guys both mentioned their defense, but their offense has been really solid too. They're actually uh, scoring 47.4 points per game. That's third in the nation. They did have a blowout game early in the year, but Andrew Anthony, former Michigan receiver, looked really good. He had just one catch last week, but he leads the team in receiving yards. It, they, it, their offense is really, they've turned that yeah. around completely well, as well. You know, Levy's a good offensive coordinator too. I mean, that, you know, it's it's interesting because I think Venables has kind of brought back OU to kind of what maybe it was under Stoops right before Lincoln. Riley kind of brought them way too far off. I mean, the imbalance between the offense and defense was uh, so stark by the time Riley left. And now Venables is kind of creating more of that balance that you saw with Stoops. Yeah, no doubt. It's it's like it's just, def- oh. Sorry, Tony. It's like they have that defense first mentality. Yeah. Paired with an offense that's capable of scoring points, still. So uh, yeah. I, I'm jumping on that six and a half points. Uh, but uh, Tony, go ahead. Right. I was just going to say uh, the only part that scares me is Oklahoma's offense has been like it's been inconsistent, right? Like they put up they put up 50 last week, they put up a 73 early on, but just I think 20 some 28 against SMU, 20 against Cincinnati. So I mean Texas yeah. is, is is also a good defense, and so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can score again. I mean, maybe that I worry there's some Michigan 2018, 2017, right? Like you bomb everybody you should, but then when you get uh, against uh, other other teams at your level, I don't know if if Oklahoma's quite there yet. That Cincinnati game was weird though because I left that game feeling almost more confident in Oklahoma because they were. It felt like they were playing like like old school, you know, a very defense first football. And they were just squeezing the life out of Cincinnati and just 20, 20 to six in that one on the road, kind of a tough spot there early season at Cincinnati. And, and they completely dominated those. So I, I thought their, their defense was super impressive in that game. 
Uh, let's move on you to more, you uh, caught more of it than we did. I know that much. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not the benefit of being a, an an editor. You get to sit on the couch on Saturday and have the three TVs going at one time. So that's one of the one of the the benefits for sure. <laughs> let's take a look at uh, Maryland, Ohio State, the Buckeyes, twenty point favorites. Uh, Tony, we started with Ryan and last one. We'll take, go to you here. Sure. I mean, just sort of almost on principle, uh, Maryland, I just put them at the bottom of my rankings, 25th. Uh, I mean, they're Mike Moxley, when uh, I'll finish that first off on principle, 20 points is too many. Then let's get back to the rest of the of the point. Mike Moxley, when we were in Indianapolis this summer, said the sentence Big Ten championship. And I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I rolled my eyes. But he also said he said, we've never said that around here before. We've always had goals, objective, like the next level we're talking to. He said, we're talking about winning real things, beating, competing and beating with Michigan, beating and competing with, there we go, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State. And I mean, if you remember even last year uh, against Michigan, that was Michigan's maybe toughest game in the, in, in the Big Ten, one of at least by the scoreboard. It was like 34-27. And Maryland spotted on the touchdown with, uh, I mean, with, with a, a fumble on the, on, the op- on the opening kickoff. Now, obviously, it's a slightly different team this year, but I mean, Talia Tagovailoa is still is still a, a probably second best downfield passing quarterback behind JJ McCarthy in the Big Ten, and he still has big receivers on the outside. Uh, I don't know about winning at all, but twenty points feels like an awful lot. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the better part of three touchdowns. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, uh, I, I think that this game could be could be closer. I mean, Ohio State hasn't dominated uh you know they didn't dominate notre dame and uh it took them a while to get going offensively uh before they kind of hit their stride against uh, western kentucky of course then they played notre dame and didn't look nearly as impressive from an offensive standpoint so i don't know where they stand really there uh i still have some question marks about Kyle mccord and the offense in general uh their commitment to running the football uh hasn't really been there uh and it's been kind of a trending away from what Urban Meyer did. Uh, and so, uh, whereas Maryland, I think, again, they've, they've looked pretty strong offensively. Uh, they're averaging, I think, uh, they're averaging more points per game than actually Ohio State right now. And I just don't see how Ohio State beats them by 20 points. I mean, that would be, uh, I mean, you'd have to have a major regression offensively from, from Maryland. And maybe Jim Knowles will come up with a scheme that confuses Talia Tungavailoa and uh, Loxley and Gaddis, uh, Josh Gaddis is offensive coordinator, the former Michigan coordinator, but I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see how Ohio State is, uh, or Maryland, I mean, Ohio State is favored by 20 in this game. It's uh, maybe Vegas uh, see something I don't. I think college football, uh, you have to operate under different different rule sets than, than just week to week. I mean, you have to take into consideration momentum, you have to take into consideration uh, newfound rallying cries. And I think this whole silly thing with Lou Holtz, Ryan Day is using that to fire up his team. You guys spent a lot of time talking about how how Jim Harbaugh has kind of a beat on his team and you know knows to when, when to be hard on him and when not. And I know Nick Saban, I've heard a lot of people talk about how he's an expert at that as well. If the team's low on confidence, he hypes them up. If they need if they need a boost, he he knows when to, you know, when to bring them down. And I think Ryan Day is really using this whole Notre Dame thing and Michigan Ohio State is soft and you guys aren't as tough as Michigan now. I think he's really using this. You have another week of hearing that after you go out and have your, one of the best wins you've had in a long time on the road at Notre Dame. Now you now you have Maryland at home uh, with the whole extra week, the bye week to prepare for Talia. And I just I think I think Ohio State's I don't I don't see a risk of them losing this game. And so the 20 points does scare me a little bit. But it's college football. There's backdoor covers. Weird things happen. And 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 if you're taking Ohio State, I just think there's a better team. And I don't think there's a risk of losing. So I, I'm taking the Buckeyes in this one. Yeah, I just – I mean, the bye week almost – it cuts both ways for me, right? Like, I mean, you just – yeah, you're getting re- – you're resting, you're healthier. But it's just a little – actually, they definitely uh, – normally it's a 24-hour rule, like to celebrate a win, a big win. I mean, a big win like that before a bye – you got a 48-72, right? I mean, a couple of, I mean, you might, I don't know what's, go, what's going on, but like, it's easy to just sort of, I mean, maybe sleepwalk through that first quarter, right? And then you wake up at 7-7 seven, seven, 
And it's like, ah, and then you get going. But like maybe there's not enough time. It's just just a lot of points. So, but but I, I hear you, and, and and I think that's a great point about um about about what what that win at Notre Dame did for Ohio State for real for real. It, it just it just those things time and time again we they, see it matter. We just see it, so it much in college football than than more than anything, right? Yeah, or like I know that uh. I listen to a lot of NBA podcasts and this one, uh, Ryan Rosillo was doing a thing about how every single NBA players campaign, like national campaign, their Adidas, their Nike, their Jordan campaigns, all were related to how no one believed in them and how, how like they were doubted this entire way and they're haters, right? Like that's a real thing. And that is fuel that people actually use. And that's how you get to a place like this is by, by tricking yourself into thinking that no one believes in you when you're a 6'2", 230-pound running back who bulldozes every single high school player they've ever played. You know, like that's how these guys – you have to trick yourself into it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, let's take a look at the last game here. Uh, this one should be interesting. Kentucky and Georgia, uh, the Bulldogs, a 14.5-point favorite. Uh, Reiner, this is SEC territory, so we'll start with you. Who do you got in this one? I've got Kentucky. I think that this could be a – a dog fight, no, no pun intended, but uh, second highest yards per carry average uh, from a running game that Kentucky has going against a Georgia run defense that hasn't been as strong, giving up almost four yards in attempt. Uh, this isn't the same Kirby smart defense uh, we've seen uh, in the last two years when they won the national championship. I think Kentucky is a very strong team this year uh, overall. And Mark Stoops has done a really good job with that program. And, you know, who knows? I mean, I, not only, you know, am I taking Kentucky, I mean, I, I think that they might have a shot at winning this actual, winning this game based on the performance that Georgia had against a really uh, an Auburn team in transition under Hugh Freeze in his first year. They barely, barely pulled that game out. And I think Kentucky is more, much more formidable than, than Auburn. And to add to it, earlier this year, I mean, South Carolina is no good, and they were losing by, to the Gamecocks by 10 at, at yeah. the half, right? I mean, they, that was not just some mm-hmm. necessarily some one-off thing. I mean, there's been a couple times Georgia's looked questionable. And that that Kentucky running game, uh, if you don't know the name Ray Davis, the, that bowling ball of a human who is – I mean, he's really a lot like – I think his bowling ball is maybe a little bit of a, of a bad connotation, but, I mean, he is just short and stocky and – just rolls through people. I mean, he's like 5'10", 220. He's built like Mike Hart was back in the day and just keeps those legs moving. And last week against Florida, he ran for like 250 or 280, excuse me, and three touchdowns. I mean, he's a beast. He's a beast. And when, and with these shorter games, when you can control the clock and control tempo, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's a big recipe for success. Now, I mean, Kentucky needs Devin Leary, their quarterback, uh, taking over for Will Levis, uh, j- just to not turn the ball over, right? Five interceptions, uh, that's not ideal. I mean, so just like, just hold on to it. Um, and and if you if you can make sure you don't lose the the turnover battle, then I'm I'm with you, Reiner. I think I think Kentucky can. It wouldn't surprise me at all if if I look up at halftime and and Kentucky's has a lead. Yeah, I mean Kentucky's like a poor man's Georgia, except this time they might actually be, you know. Similar to Georgia, if they can do some of the things right, uh, I mean they they want to they want to control both lines of scrimmage. Mark Stoops is that kind of coach, and so uh, I mean in the same way that Kirby Smart does, I, I think you know Kentucky, in in that sense, uh, could pose a fight with Georgia, especially because Georgia is not nearly as strong, I don't think, as as, as the previous two years and. Uh, I also think that, you know, again, if they play a clean, clean game, this thing could go down to the wire and Kentucky could possibly win it. Totally agree with you guys. This Georgia team sort of reminds me of like a less buzzworthy version of the Florida State team back in 2014. And by buzzworthy, I mean the team that Jameis Winston was on. He got suspended. Yeah. Uh, for, and everyone was talking about that team every week. They were coming off the national title. Mm-hmm. Every game, it felt like they were pulling out some kind of crazy win. And, and they were ranked number one. But you just you watched them, and like, there's just something not right with this team. I mean, Carson Beck was 23 for 30, 33, 313 yards. Peyton Thorne was 10 of 19 for 82 yards. And yet it came down to that very last yeah. uh, end of the game, and, and the Bulldogs barely pulled out a win. I mean, Kentucky is a lot better 
than than Auburn, and, and maybe that's that's not exactly how this game is going to go. It won't be the exact same thing. Teams play bad games sometimes, but this Georgia team just doesn't seem to be like the other Georgia teams. Of course, there's such a small sample size in college football. You have to take teams for based on what they've been in the past. You know what? What you can't just suddenly say Georgia shouldn't even be in the top twenty-five um, just because of what the recruits they have, what they've done in the in the past year. You have to take some past knowledge there. But based on purely what we've seen this year, and we're getting near the halfway mark here in college football, we've seen that Georgia just isn't what they were uh, last year. So uh, I'm going to take the twelve and a half points from uh, from Kentucky to at least cover the spread. And like you guys said, if some craziness happens. And, you know, with the difference in the, the player profiles that Kentucky and Georgia have, you do need some things to go your way. But I, I think Kentucky could pull this one out as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm glad you said it about like needing the the background, uh, just not having to, to rank the teams, having never had having to rank the teams before. It's why. And I wrote it this week. Like, I, I get that. I'm, I'm we're all well aware Georgia does not look how it looked last year. However, Georgia is one of the few teams, at least for me, I mean, back-to-back national championships, undefeated, like, you, they get the benefit of the doubt. They Until they lose, they just get to hold that spot, even if they don't look like the number one team. That's just, that's that's the way I'm going. That I'm, that's just how college football works. I mean, that's how, it, uh, that's how it always works. You know, it's like, unless some team like TCU, for example, last year, TCU makes the championship game. Every, they unload everybody, including their quarterback, including you know all their their best uh, playmakers. Okay, they maybe don't get the benefit of the doubt. Plus, they had kind of that fluky run. But if you're USC back in the day when they had Matt Liner and Reggie Bush, if you're you know Texas for their run there for a little bit, if you're Alabama, you get the benefit of the doubt. And who's earned it more than Georgia over the last two years? Yeah, no, no doubt. And uh, I mean, again, until they until they. Uh, lose. I mean, you have to kind of keep them up at the, at the top spot, but yeah, you know, certainly there have been other teams that have looked more impressive than Georgia this year, and maybe are not as don't look as flawed as Georgia does right now. So, uh, you know, maybe Kirby Smart will figure it out, but I don't know. I mean, you don't want to go into this game with so many question marks because uh, I think Kentucky is pretty strong this year. They are. They are. Brock Bowers bailed them out twice last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. I feel like we've. It feels like we've still yet to have the big one, right? Like the big upset in in college football. I mean, like Florida State LSU was a big result. Texas beating Alabama was very big, but not like. I mean, not like shocking. It feels like we're inching that, like inching closer, like something. You you, you just know a domino is going to fall because right now there are a ton of teams at the top, and uh, I just I, I just wonder who that first one is going to be. Maybe we will. Uh, be discussing it the next time we talk. Uh, that will be uh, Sunday uh, after Michigan plays Minnesota. Um, and I will actually still be in Minnesota uh, where I'm staying. This is a good time to talk about it briefly. I'm staying in Minnesota uh, at for Big Ten basketball media day. Hello, basketball season's here. And uh, yes, we're going to certainly keep the emphasis on Michigan football as we should, the number two team in the nation. Um, but Go, we're we're going to be in in in, uh, in Minneapolis talking uh, talking with Phil Martelli, who is uh, serving as head coach while Jawan Howard uh, recovers from uh, from heart surgery that that he had in the off season. So much to talk about with that team. Depending on how we want to work it in, but there's a lot. I mean, there's just football, football, football to get to. So we're going to see how we can do that on a Sunday for Monday. Record maybe just some questions that we have going into Big Ten Media Days. That's all in the work. So I just wanted to to plant that and leave that there. All right. Um, and as always, uh, thanks to everyone who helps make this possible. Uh, that's editor and chief Nicole Avery Nichols, executive executive editor Anjanette Delgado. I'm sorry, Anjanette. Uh, you know I love you. Uh, sports editor Kirkland Crawford, audio engineer Robin Chan, and. Of course, I don't know if I need to still give thanks to Andrew when he appears on the show. I mean, he always does all the work, but he, you're, he's part of it. So th- uh, th- thank you, Andrew, as well. But uh, no, of course, I'll thank you, Andrew, because I thank you uh, as well, Reiner. Um, thank you. So, Andrew, do you, did you want to be thanked? Uh, of course. I mean, who stayed up till midnight editing that podcast on Sunday? Yeah, well, who was at Miguel Cabrera's <laughs> final game all afternoon, which is why they had to stay up? Yes or no? That might also be me. So, 
it's a fair, okay. fair, fair. Yeah. All right, there we go. One for the good guys. Okay, thanks everyone for sticking around. We'll talk to you soon. Be safe, have a good night.